You may open your Bibles to Acts chapter 15 as we get started on considering the Apostle Paul's second preaching trip that the Bible has recorded for us by the hand of Luke in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 15 is the place where we'll start. Before we turn there, I want to share some other verses with you by slides and trust that they will excite you for the material that's found in Acts chapters 15 through 18. Paul's second preaching trip. There's four of them recorded in the book of Acts, and we want to learn them, and we have very specific reasons why I'm preaching this to you for these four Sundays. Let me remind you from last Lord's Day, you could never know God's Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, or all the blessings that are in Him, unless God sent a preacher. You can't get a telescope and look at the universe and learn about Jesus Christ. You can't get a microscope and look at DNA and learn about Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is by revelation only. It is not by creation. It is not by providence. It is not by conscience. It is only by revelation. God has to reveal it to us, and he chose to reveal it to us by preaching. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? Remember this question. And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. And there's no question mark there. That is an exclamation point. How beautiful are the feet of them like the Apostle Paul, like Barnabas, like Silas, like Timothy, that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Without a preacher, we wouldn't hear Without hearing, we can't believe. Without believing, we can't call. And they don't preach unless God sends them. Sent by God, preaching by men, and you here believing and calling has changed our lives. The Lord gave the word. Great was the company of those that published it. It was a huge company of men that published, that preached, that taught, that wrote, that preserved Scripture translated scripture for us. Jesus Christ ascended on high after descending into this world, and he led captivity captive, and he received gifts for men. God gave him gifts to give to the church, yea, even for rebellious men that didn't want to be preachers, that the Lord God might dwell among them. Paul would take that prophecy from Psalm 68 and say that Jesus Christ gave gifts unto men. God gave the gifts to Jesus, Jesus gave the gifts to men, and he gave some apostles. And he gave one of those apostles to be our apostle. The apostle to the Gentiles was Saul of Tarsus, the apostle Paul. And in that day, Isaiah prophesied, there shall be a root of Jesse, which shall stand for an ensign of the people. The standard of a king would appear on earth. To it shall the Gentiles seek and it's the gospel of Jesus Christ, and his rest shall be glorious. 
The things Gentiles learned that saved them from all their abominations was a glorious rest. We get to rest in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amos chapter 9, in that day, in the gospel day of the apostle Paul, in that day will I raise up the tabernacle of David. See, there's an ensign and a son of David and a root of Jesse, all coming together in the Lord Jesus Christ that no one could know about without preachers. There is no creation, providence, or conscience to help you in this matter, but preachers. In that day will I raise up the tabernacle of David that has fallen and close up the breaches thereof of the Davidic kingdom of God that was on earth under the reign of David, and I will raise up his ruins, and I will build it as in the days of old. There's going to be a powerful kingdom on earth prophesied by Amos 500 years or so before the fulfillment that they may possess the remnant of Edom and of all the heathen. That's you and me, which are called by my name. We are heathen called by the name of God. We're followers of the Lord Jehovah, saith the Lord that doeth this. Fantastic prophecy. Abused prophecy for many, but not for us. Here it is fulfilled in Acts 15 that is right in front of your faces where a church council's decrees are left for you. Simeon, that's Peter, going to the house of Cornelius. Simeon hath declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles, Acts 10, to take out of them a people for his name, Cornelius and his household. And to this agree the words of the prophets as it is written in Amos. And now James, who's leading this church council, quotes from Amos chapter 9. After this I will return and will build again the tabernacle of David. To this agree. Amos's prophecy was fulfilled by Peter's preaching to Cornelius and then Paul's to other Gentiles. After this I will return and will build again the tabernacle of David. The kingdom of God will be great on earth with a great king, the son of David. It's fallen down in the times of Amos, but God was going to build it again, the ruins thereof, and set it up, that the residue of men might seek after the Lord, like you and me, far away from Israel. The residue of men, Gentiles, and all the Gentiles, upon whom my name is called, saith the Lord, who doeth all these things, known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world. That last statement in verse 18 is so perfect for reading Ephesians chapter 2 and chapter 3, where the Apostle Paul said, this has been kept secret from the foundation of the world and has been revealed to me. And I am sharing now, ahead of all the other prophets and apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ, how that God had always planned to bring the Gentiles into his kingdom. And it's very clearly stated there and repeatedly stated there, nearly redundantly, but it's never redundant when the Holy Spirit inspires it. This passage right here is fantastic. The dispensationalists that are looking for some Jewish kingdom on earth say this is the most important prophecy in the Bible about their millennial kingdom. But there is no millennial kingdom here. This is the gospel kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ because James interpreted it by inspiration of the Holy Ghost that Peter preaching to Cornelius started that prophecy into fulfillment. Preachers! They want the Davidic kingdom out in the future. They're Zionists. We have the Davidic kingdom right now. David's son is reigning on a throne with a rod of iron. 
And he has sent forth his preachers, his ambassadors, as they're called. An ambassador is a representative of a king, and they have come to us and shown us that we have a king. Acts 9, but the Lord said unto him, go thy way. This is poor Ananias. There was a certain disciple in Damascus. His name was Ananias, and the Lord said, I want you to go down the street and to this certain address and find Saul of Tarsus and talk to him, preach to him, and baptize him for me. Ananias said, Lord, have you heard what this man's up to in the city of Damascus? Please, choose someone else. But the Lord said unto him, I love all the inspired disjunctives, but the Lord said unto him, go thy way. Go where I told you to go, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles. And we are celebrating a fact that is found in both Testaments and has hundreds of verses attesting it, that God was going to convert Gentiles. And so for a few weeks, the preaching is a little different, but it's the Word of God. I preach the Word, and the Word says you should be thankful that God made some choices like this. This is a choice. Do you understand that? That's a choice God made. He is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings, plural, including Nero and the children of Israel. He hit the Jews. He hit the Gentiles. He hit the kings. There's Agrippa in there. And here's what Paul said about his conversion. Oh, I'd, I'd like to put 40 verses here from Galatians 1 and 2, but we'll limit ourselves to three. When it pleased God. Remember, it was God's choice. But when it pleased God, one who separated me from my mother's womb. When was Paul separated to preach? From before he was born. And called me by his grace. Not called him to salvation, called him to the ministry. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace. Number three to reveal his son in me on the road to Damascus, that I might preach him among the heathen. That's us. We're heathen. Have you spent any effort to find out what our ancestors worshipped? We're the heathen. That I might preach him among the heathen immediately. I conferred not with flesh and blood. I didn't get my gospel from flesh and blood teachers. Neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me. But I went into Arabia for a three-year seminary by the Lord Jesus Christ himself and returned again unto Damascus. And that's all we're told about that seminary until you read the epistles of Paul where he will tell the Corinthians, for I received the Lord Jesus that which I delivered unto you. And then he quotes what took place the Last Supper, even though Saul of Tarsus or or the Apostle Paul was not at the Last Supper. For I received the Lord Jesus that which I delivered unto you. I didn't receive it from anyone else but the Lord Jesus. We had a special man prepared for us. Romans 11, regarding Jews not believing, even elect Jews not believing, and why? I say then, have they, elect Jews, stumbled that they should fall? God forbid. But rather, through their fall, salvation is come unto the Gentiles. By them not believing, I get to preach to Gentiles, and they do believe for to provoke them to jealousy. Now if the fall of them be the riches of the world, that is, if the Jews don't believe, we end up getting the riches of the gospel, and the diminishing of them, the riches of the Gentiles, how much more their fullness. 
How much better when some of those unbelieving elect Jews were converted and believed and we all come together into the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. But God had his method to get the gospel to us because Jews by nature, as long as Jews were being converted, wouldn't have been interested in preaching to us Gentiles. But even elect Jews for a time being, for a generation, turned the gospel down for our benefit. For I speak to you Gentiles. I've written the epistle of the Romans to you Gentiles because I am the apostle of the Gentiles and I magnify mine office. I want you to know how important my office is, you Gentiles. That's why we're studying this subject. What if our creator God had left us alone to our rebellious and insane imaginations? We would know nothing true about any part of life, let alone the living and true God and His Son. This is the blue speck of dust, the pale blue dot in the entire universe of solar systems and galaxies. God had an interest in this place. Do you see the continent of Africa? Do you see the Red Sea? And you know that right above it is the Sinai Peninsula and Jerusalem. And 300 miles north of Jerusalem is Antioch of Syria. As we come closer, as we come closer, here's the Sinai Peninsula. Jerusalem is right there. Antioch of Syria is up there. There's Cyprus. There's Crete. There's Sicily, Sardinia, Corsica, the boot of Italy. But we have Paul right there in his home church. Last time we were here, we went to Cyprus. This time he's not going to Cyprus. Barnabas is going to go to Cyprus. And instead he winds around here, Syria and Cilicia, and comes in here to Phrygia and Galatia, and the Lord makes him go west. And he comes over the Dardanelles into Europe and down to Athens and Corinth then back over to Ephesus, and then down here to Caesarea. He goes up and salutes the church at Jerusalem and comes home, and there is trip number two. You're going to see it a number of times because I want you to know it. Here it is again. Should I do it all again? I won't. Here's Sicily. Here's Crete. The Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and slow bellies. That's what the Bible says. Here's Cyprus. Here's one of the most important passages in the world. The Dardanelles, separating Asia from Europe. It's incredibly important. If you, if, you haven't, if you don't remember your history, then you don't know how important it is. But the Apostle Paul came through here to Troas, went over here to Samothracia, over here to Neapolis, and then to Philippi, and then down to Athens and Corinth. Then over to Ephesus, and then back to Caesarea, up to Jerusalem, and then to Antioch. This is modern-day Turkey. But right in here is Lystra, Antioch of Pisidia, Troas. There's that important divide between Asia and Europe. And there's Paul in two days on a sailboat, gets over here to Europe, Greece, Macedonia, the northern half of Greece, and Philippi. If God had left that blue ball alone, 
you wouldn't know anything about any, value, any part of life. Right. What you know on your job is absolutely irrelevant to life and a worldview about God and the purpose of man. We wouldn't know anything. What were a few Gentile religions before Paul brought us the gospel? Here's a Gentile religion. Their sons and their daughters, they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan. Sparta. Where would Gabby be if we were Spartans? Where would Naomi be if we were Spartans? Her parents would have killed them. Their parents, her parents would have killed them. The Israelites did this. Kings of Judah did this. Solomon built temples to Molech and palaces for princesses of the Moabites. Their sons and their daughters, they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan. Naomi, do you see that baby in the picture? Do you see that little baby right here? The priest of a false religion is throwing that baby into a fire. The Bible repeats this particular sin of child sacrifice over and over and over. It's called passing your seed through the fire to Molech. How's that for religion? Here's a religion. Let's get some educated intellects. This is what they come up with a religion. This is the Greek pantheon of gods. Here's Zeus, Hermes, Athena, Poseidon, the patron god of Corinth, Poseidon, Apollyon, Apollon. I'll show you a temple at Corinth. This is the Greeks. They made up all these imaginary mythological figures that they called gods. Here's the table of them. On the left is the Greek name, which is the Greek Parthenon. Then there's the Roman name. Pantheon. Excuse me, you're going to find out why. Pantheon. The Greek Pantheon. And now I've got seven underlined. Jupiter. Tell me, where's Jupiter in the Bible? Just give me a chapter. In the book of Acts. In the book of Acts. Because they called Barnabas Jupiter, and the priest of Jupiter came out to do sacrifice to him. If Paul hadn't come, how do you know we wouldn't have been born in Lystra? You say, well, we're, we were born in North America. There's only one reason you were born in North America, and that's because the Apostle Paul crossed the Dardanelles. Are you able to figure that out, or do we need an hour-long history lesson? Think about it for a minute. Why were you born in North America? Because Paul crossed the Dardanelles into Europe and left the true gospel and it forced our ancestors in the faith to leave that place and its right. persecution to go further west to find freedom. Mm -hmm. This is not some little small event. Right. The Apostle Paul changed the world. They said he did. We know he did. Poseidon the patron god of Corinth. Apollo, I'll show you a temple of Apollo at Corinth. Diana, where, where is she in the Bible? Okay, trip number three. We're going to run into Diana of the Ephesians. I couldn't give you a picture of Diana of the Ephesians because she was a fertility goddess and I wasn't going to do it. Mark your calendars about how discreet and restrained I am because I want to show you. 
but you have little children that you would have to explain things to, and I just, I'm getting soft in my old age. Diana of the Ephesians, you got to see a picture of what a fertility goddess looks like. Instead of two, there's 16. Athena, what do you think she's the matron god of? What city? Athens. Mars, have you ever found that in the Bible? Did Paul go to Mars Hill, also known as the Areopagus? Mercury, is that in your Bible? In these chapters that we're studying? Paul was called Mercurius, after Mercury. See, so there's seven of those in the Bible. This is the Parthenon on the Acropolis of Athens, Greece, to Athena. Pretty impressive. There's a person. If you think men are smarter today than the ancient Greeks and Romans, they are not. And I ask you again to think with me. For evolution denies any creator. I respect the Greeks and the Romans for at least having mythological gods that created They were smart enough to know that all this beautiful stuff didn't come by an accident. Not today. The worldview is totally different. And abortion is child sacrifice to yourself. Instead of offering your child to a deity that you believe has power greater than you, they just do it for selfish interests. It's still child sacrifice for your little life of pleasure. Pantheon, all the gods of a people or religion. There's their gods. The Greeks and the Romans had gods like that. Like this back here. Like this table. Here's another one. Jupiter and others. Here's the Pantheon in Rome. Built in 125 AD. Just a few years after the Apostle Paul preached the gospel in that city. They built this thing as a monument to all their gods. It was an incredible structure. That room is 140 feet wide, and it's 140 feet tall. There's no steel in it. That is concrete formed to create that dome. Here's the temple to Apollo in Corinth, Greece, where the Apostle Paul went. I chose not to show the female gods of the Phrygians, Sibyl, or Diana of the Ephesians. You can go online and look them up, though. Here's the map of the second journey. I've already been over it once with you. We start right here at Antioch in Syria. Paul doesn't need to go to Seleucia like he did on trip one. I know it's small right now. I'm going to enlarge it. Maybe I should right now. I want you to see the scope of what he did and the thousands of miles that he covered. Instead of the 1,200-mile trip that he took on the first preaching journey, this is more three to 4,000 miles that he covered without counting his sideways journeys that, that were not told about by Luke. Here it is blown up a little bit. But see, we've got to go back to find out that he went into Cilicia. He went through Syria first, then Cilicia, where he was hometown of Tarsus, then over to Derby, Lystra, and Iconium, because the second journey was to confirm the churches that he had started on the first trip. And there's that church at Antioch in Pisidia, that we're told details about in Acts 13 and where his first recorded sermon was preached. So then we can come and look at it this way. And there's Antioch and Pisidia, and I've blown it up for you to see the features that we're going to be looking at here in this second preaching trip. I have very specific reasons 
that I'm trying to cover with you in preaching this, these trips to you out of the book of Acts. This is preaching the word. The book of Acts is as much the word of God as any other book in the New Testament or either Testament. The purpose of these sermons is to provide a broad and general knowledge of Paul's preaching trips so that you'll appreciate what was done for you. That God sent a special man and that man put forth extreme effort in order to get the gospel to you. Our expositional interest is very limited. I'm not doing this verse by verse, though we may read many of the verses in these chapters. We want to recognize God sent preachers for us. And that that choice to send preachers to Gentiles was very important. What would you be doing this morning without those preachers having been sent? We started with that in the back room in our prayer meeting as men this morning already. That Anne that we heard about, Anne Askew, and her martyr death. Where did she get that information from to know that Rome had one of the worst religions of all, and that is cracker worship of pedophiles in pajamas? Where did she learn that? Because Paul came into Europe. She wouldn't have known a thing about it. And the gospel went west. And it kept going west. And we thank the Lord for that today. Our purpose is to see God expanding his revelation to our kind, us Gentiles, by Paul's preaching. We want to see how God prepared, identified, favored, and protected Paul to preach Jesus to Gentiles. We want to study his methods, his power, his content, and the results by the blessing of the Holy Ghost. We have two main goals. Number one, to thank God for sending his gospel to Gentiles that we are the beneficiaries of. Number two, that we would think about publishing his gospel ourselves. That when we have opportunity or we look for opportunities so that we can tell some others about what the Bible teaches and a worldview of Jehovah and his son Jesus Christ. So there's two reasons for us to thank God for what he's done for us through Paul and others and for us to be more motivated and convicted to share it with others. May the Lord bless us toward both of these goals. You know, the Bible first mentions Saul of Tarsus at Stephen's stoning in Acts chapter 7. He was converted on the road to Damascus in chapter 9. He was eventually brought to Antioch with Barnabas in Acts chapter 11. And he started his first preaching trip in Acts 13. And so all of chapter 13 and all of chapter 14 are the first preaching trip that started by the Holy Ghost telling the five named preachers in the church that was at Antioch, separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work that I have for them. And nine verses later, Paul's name is changed from the Hebrew name of Saul to the Roman name of Paul. In in Acts chapter 13 and verse 9. Now, in chapter 15, and you're looking at it, and I'm going to skip most of it because it's another topic, but it is a fabulous topic. And you should thank God for this counsel, and you should thank God for Paul's zeal, who was one born out of due time. Paul was looked at askance by other apostles because he was so different from the rest of them. He had not companied with the Lord Jesus Christ. He had private company with the Lord Jesus Christ. He was an apostle. He had seen the risen Lord Jesus Christ, but he was different. And so when he went to Jerusalem, he had to go carefully. But he wasn't afraid to go. When was the last time any of you in here had pepperoni? I had a good amount of it last night, but it wasn't on a pizza. Pepperoni. You wouldn't have pepperoni pizza if it wasn't for the Apostle Paul in Acts 15. 
because there were Jews that were, there were converted Jews coming out of Jerusalem up to Antioch, telling them they had to keep the whole law of Moses in order to be saved, which includes the dietary laws of the book of Leviticus. And so we thank God for the Apostle Paul. So when you read there in verse 1 that certain men which came down from Judea, that means down in altitude, up north in direction, 300 miles, taught the brethren and said, except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, ye cannot be saved. Now what was the central church? It was Jerusalem. Antioch was a descendant of that great church that was in Jerusalem. And so these men were come from Jerusalem and they carried weight with them. They were from Jerusalem. They were Jewish legalists that so much of the New Testament is written against. When there, Look at verse 2. When therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small... What does that terminology mean? They had one big fight. That's right. They had no small dissension and disputation with them. They determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them should go up to Jerusalem unto the apostles and elders about this question. And so those two, Barnabas and Paul and some others, went down in direction, up in altitude, to Jerusalem to ask the apostles and elders in that city, is this right, what these men have come out of your church saying to our converted Gentiles in Antioch that they've got to keep the law of Moses and be circumcised? And so that's why you have the council of Jerusalem. You thank God for Paul. Paul wasn't afraid of anyone, and he was, a, he was wise. We're going to read today that he took a Jewish vow on himself and shaved his head. Yep. Why? That's a Jewish vow. It's Numbers chapter 6. It's a Nazarite vow. Why did he do it? Why was it important for him to do it? Why was it important for him to get to a feast in Jerusalem with his head shaved? To the Jews became I a Jew. The boy, when he was out there preaching, he preached the gospel, and he preached it in Jerusalem, and Jerusalem taught the truth. Jerusalem, Jerusalem's the, the church that came to the right conclusion here. Paul only gets one verse. Peter was far more important than Paul at the Council of Jerusalem. All you got to do is read the Council of Jerusalem, and you can see that Peter was far more important than Paul. James is going to appeal to Simon. He's not going to appeal to Saul or Paul, because Paul was insignificant at this point in a Jewish church that was full of Jews and had some Jewish legalists. But Simon wasn't. And Simon did a great job of explaining, what was I to say after I preached the truth to these Gentiles? God gave them the same gift that he gave to us. Right. He just gave them the gift before baptism. I mean, it's just wonderful what goes down in Acts chapter 15. Amen. But we're going to skip that because we want to come to the end of it. James makes a conclusion. They give four decrees that they want converted Gentiles to keep. They're listed here. It's verse 29. Abstain from meats offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from fornication. From which, if ye keep yourselves, ye shall do well, fare ye well. And we have the letter. We have the letter that was sent by the Council of Jerusalem, recorded for us by Luke, and that's how it ended, with the words, fare ye well. And so... Barnabas picks up his nephew, doesn't tell us that yet, picks up his nephew and Paul and Silas and Judas are brought back to Antioch and there they tell the Gentiles that they don't have to keep the law of Moses in order to be saved and the Gentiles rejoice in that city. And so we come to verse 36 and preaching trip number two starts with Acts chapter 15 and verse 36. Where are we? 
We've got to go back in our slides. I'm blowing it up so that you in the back can see. We've got to go, we've got to go right to here. Antioch and Syria. That right there is Paul's home church. And so that's where we are in Acts 15, 36. The Council of Jerusalem is over, and the church members at Antioch in Syria are comforted and are rejoicing that they don't have to keep the law of Moses. Amen. And so let me, stay, let me leave it there for just a moment. In verse 36, And some days after, that's after Paul got back from the Council of Jerusalem, Paul said unto Barnabas, Acts 15, 36, Let us go again and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they do. If Paul had not made that choice, what would have happened to the churches he started hastily on the first trip? They'd have blown away. They'd have blown away. There's too much temptation and too much difficulty. All you have to do is read the New Testament to find out that even churches where he spent a great deal of time and churches that he wrote epistles to got into serious trouble. Corinth got into so many different problems. Those churches would have been all messed up if the Apostle Paul hadn't been zealous to go back and confirm them in the truth. And so we have verse 36, and he asks Barnabas. Barnabas and Paul have been fabulous friends for years. Remember when Paul tried to join the church in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 9? Nobody would believe him. They weren't going to let that murderer into their church. So Barnabas had to come down and tell the church he's truly been converted. I've seen and heard him preaching in Damascus and in Antioch. Take him in, Damascus. And so these two have been close together, and they were the two that went on the first trip of 1,200 miles or so that we covered last Lord's Day. And so Paul asked Barnabas, Barnabas, let's go and help those churches that we started on trip number one. Verse 37, we come to another lesson. Barnabas determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark. This is John Mark. His mother's name was Mary. She had a big home in Jerusalem where they had a prayer meeting for Simon Peter in Acts chapter 12. Her brother is Barnabas. Barnabas has a sister named Mary. Mary has a son named John Mark. Therefore, John Mark, every single Bible version that you can buy in a bookstore, says that John Mark and Barnabas were cousins. I don't get cousins out of these, word, out of these words in Colossians chapter 4 and verse 10 that says sister's son. If my sister has a son, is he my cousin? Never mind. I just want to keep reminding you the thing, the thing you hold in your hands is indeed precious. I wonder if they want to get rid of a nephew because they don't like the word nepotism. Barnabas determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark. But Paul thought not good to take him with them, who departed from them from Pamphylia and went not with them to the work. Barnabas may have known more about John Mark than we're told here, that he had improved. But the reason Barnabas had brought him back from Jerusalem because when John Mark left them in Pamphylia, he went back to Jerusalem. Now he's in Antioch again. And Barnabas wants to take him. And Barnabas may have known some things about him, but Paul had a high standard. Paul had a very high standard. I labored more abundantly than they all. 1 Corinthians 15.10. He said, I have no man like-minded as I do in Timothy. Now, if I was Titus, that would be hard for me to read. I just want you to know that Paul had a very high bar. And Paul was very strict about performance, and Paul was very diligent, and someone going AWOL like John Mark had did not impress Paul at all, and he did remember it. That the guy had flaked out on them just a little while after they had got started and didn't finish that, that first preaching trip with them. 
And so we read about it in verse 38. Paul didn't think it was good to take along an effeminate, weak, compromising quitter, whatever words you want to use about John Mark. Now, Barnabas may have known some things had changed, but Paul wasn't ready to agree to it quite yet. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed into Cyprus. Now, I want you to see and think with me that God, by this contention, leveraged the gospel. Can God use us when we have... We don't want to have differences. Listen, I, we, we could preach on this right here for some time about the fact that we don't want differences among us, especially caused by children. I'm going to show you an example of how to treat children. And I have. We are not going to let children cause divisions among us because this is a child, a nephew, a relative. We're not going to have family favoritism. I don't care about your family that doesn't like us as a church. And so there's many things that we can learn, but let's learn that Paul's standard is high and John Mark was a quitter, so he didn't want him. Barnabas may have known some things about him, and here's what I want to share with you. Did John Mark improve to the satisfaction of the Apostle Paul? Did John Mark get a passing grade from the Apostle Paul later? A very high passing grade. He wrote and said in Colossians 4.10 and 2 Timothy 4.11, Send Mark, he's profitable to me for the ministry. That is just wonderful. This was a ministerial burnout, ministerial flameout, but that minister, by repentance, recovered himself and was very useful to the Apostle Paul, and Paul notes it. Peter refers to him as Marcus, my son. 1 Peter 5.13. Peter had to have been pretty close to Mary, John Mark's mother. Now, I'm sorry, getting into this trivia stuff that I really don't care about, but I want you to appreciate these two men because I just said they leveraged the gospel. i got to back that up. When Peter got out of prison, where did he go? He went to a particular house owned by a particular woman. He went to Mary's house where there was a prayer meeting being made for him. Mary was the mother of John Mark. Mary was the sister of Barnabas. Peter calls John Mark, Marcus, my son. Peter may have had a role in his conversion. We don't know. But there's a lot said about these men, and I'm not going to ignore all that is said about them. But John Mark did get a passing grade later. Okay, so now you feel a little bit better about John Mark. So Barnabas and John Mark, two by two, is how Jesus sent out the apostles. And this is what Barnabas is still doing. Barnabas was a great man. You read about him first in Acts chapter 4. He came along before Saul of Tarsus did. He's in Acts chapter 4 and verse 36. It says he owned a piece of property in Cyprus. He sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. That's Barnabas. And he was called Barnabas by the apostles, the son of consolation. He was a consoling and encouraging man. And maybe he was a little nicer than the Apostle Paul, and that's why he took John Mark. I happen to like the Apostle Paul's approach better. But uh, you can pick whichever one you like, because I want to tell you, Barnabas isn't all that bad. Right. You say, but isn't this the last time we read about Barnabas? You are wrong. I thought this is the last time we read about Barnabas. Nope. Nope, he went to Cyprus. Can you look at the route in front of you? Are we going to get, eventually, after a good long while... Over here to Corinth? Are we going to? Mm -hmm. A good while after this separation of the two? Is Paul going to leave Corinth and then write them an epistle? Is that going to be a delay of some some more time? Five years after this separation, 
Paul wrote 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and said, Do not Barnabas and I have a right as apostles to forego working? I'm, I'm, tell, I'm doing that for Jonathan Crosby's sake. If you'd have asked me a week ago, is this the last time we read about Barnabas positively, I would have said yes. Uh-uh. 1 Corinthians 9, 5 and 6. Barnabas, Paul is still lifting up Barnabas very high. And when he identifies John Mark in Colossians 4, he just doesn't identify him as John Mark. He says, Barnabas' sister's son. He lifts Barnabas up, so I want you to know that. Barnabas took John Mark and hit the island of Cyprus. Barnabas would have known the nooks and crannies of Cyprus because the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 4, Barnabas was from Cyprus. And so his nephew would have known Cyprus as well. And so they, they hit Cyprus, and wherever they go from there, we're not told, but he was known to the Corinthians. And Paul didn't visit the Corinthians until a couple of years after this separation took place. And then... There's the delay until he wrote. It's about five years until Paul wrote Corinth and he just appealed to Barnabas that they would have known him that he was a great apostle. Beautiful. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that the Lord's even able to use the little differences that come up sometimes to broaden his gospel and send his preachers in different directions. Do you see that with me? We have usually looked at the end of Acts chapter 15 as Paul was the only one that was right. Barnabas fell off the edge of the earth. Nope, he didn't. Paul didn't have to waste time on the island of Cyprus, where he didn't know it as well as Barnabas did. Paul got to go around Syria and Cilicia into the place where he was born. That was Tarsus. May the Lord bless us to remember and learn by some of these things. And I just got caught up in details, which I did not want to do, because I want us to rejoice in the gospel coming to us. Verse 40. And Paul chose Silas. Why was Silas there? Where did he come from? Because of the council of Jerusalem. If there hadn't been a council of Jerusalem, he wouldn't have come up from down. See, we always say up when you go north. He wouldn't have come from Jerusalem to Antioch of Syria if it hadn't been for the council of Jerusalem. And the church of Jerusalem sent what are called chief brethren, some of their very best, with the apostle Paul and Barnabas, so the church at Antioch would know this is the opinion of the whole church at Jerusalem. So they sent chief men of their own to go with Paul and Barnabas. Every verse in the word of God is important. And I would love to do it phrase by phrase, but I'm not, I don't want to do it that way this time. I have done it before. There is an outline on our website called Acts chapter 15. But that's why Silas is there. And so it tells us in verse 40, Paul chose Silas because Barnabas has gone with John Mark to Cyprus and departed, being recommended by the brethren under the grace of God. Barnabas could have left in some sort of a huff, but he was an apostle. And verse 41, he went through Syria and Cilicia, confirming the churches. So he went north. He didn't have to go to Seleucia, the port, to get a ship to go to the Mediterranean. He was on foot, and he went north through Syria and then over to Cilicia, and he could go through these towns. And now I will give you a bigger map for your benefit. Chapter 16. Then came he to Derby and Lystra. We learned about those cities in the first trip. They're in the middle of Phrygia. They're down below Antioch in Pisidia. They're in here. They're in here. They came up out of Panvilia. 
and Antioch of Pisidia. And so you just got to remember that from last time because I'm not going to show you the first map at this point in time. But let's read the first three verses. Then came he to Derby and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there. That's because they had preached the gospel there a few years earlier on their first trip. Named Timotheus, the son of a certain woman, which was a Jewess and believed, but his father was a Greek, which was well reported of by the brethren that were at Lystra and Iconium. Him would Paul have to go forth with him and took and circumcised him because of the Jews, which were in those quarters, for they knew all that his father was a Greek. And this is important. The apostle Paul became a Jew to reach the Jews. So he circumcised Timothy. But in Galatians chapter 2, he would not circumcise Titus because in Galatians chapter 2, it was a doctrinal controversy. Here it wasn't a doctrinal controversy. The issue at stake was none of the Jews were going to listen to Timothy if he put him up to preach. So he circumcised him. And I want to tell you, the the mother couldn't get the boy circumcised, even though she was a Jewess. Just think about it. Because the father controls a family. And so the Jewish mother did not circumcise her boy, though she knew it was the sign of the covenant, and she hadn't heard the gospel yet until Paul got there in the first trip. But it was important enough to the apostle Paul to push the matter that we've got to circumcise him or his ministry isn't going to work among the, the Jews. Because his reputation is already well known in three cities of this area that his father was a Greek and he wasn't circumcised. And so the Apostle Paul shows us discretion and wisdom and ethics. And that some things aren't black and white. And I love the Bible for that. Some things are gray and you make decisions that are in the best interest of the gospel. Where the Lord didn't command you. He didn't command that every... One had to be circumcised. Circumcision is dead. That came out of the Council of Jerusalem in chapter 15. But the apostle is weighing things and making great choices, and that's the way we want to think. And we've got the Word of God to learn to think that way. Verses 4 and 5. And as they went through the cities, that's Derby, Lystra, Iconium, Antioch of Pisidia, the cities where they had established churches on their first trip, they delivered them the decrees for to keep that were ordained of the apostles and elders which were at Jerusalem. So those four matters that were back there, keep yourselves from too much to do with idols. Don't strangle your meat. Don't drink blood raw. And uh, let's not fornicate, you know, which is already well known as a principle of the gospel. But those are the four things. And so they delivered them from the elders and apostles that were at Jerusalem, verse 5. And so were the churches established in the faith and increased in number daily because it is truth. It's truth that establishes churches and helps them to grow by not being led astray by something that defeats the purpose of the gospel. The gospel is liberating, but there were Jewish legalists traveling all over. You know, the the poor Galatians, they're so far from Israel, but there were Jewish Galatians, Jewish legalists troubling the Galatians that Paul had to write a six-chapter book for to tell them that that emphasis on circumcision was a bewitching from the true gospel of Jesus Christ. And so they're established in the faith. So we come to verse 6. Now when they had gone throughout Phrygia and the region of Galatia. Okay. You can see Galatia. It's huge. Phrygia is right here. And as they went through this territory in here, they came over to Antioch and Pisidia. And and verse 6 tells us, Now when they had gone throughout Phrygia and the region of Galatia. Now they're, they're proceeding this way. Paul wants to go into Asia. And the Lord says no. Verse 6, And we're forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia. 
after they were come to Mysia, they essayed to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. Mysia is right in here. You say, well, why isn't labeled on your map? Because if you labeled every little small subdivision of how the people looked at their own territories, it would cloud up the map. This is Mysia. And as they go through Mysia, Paul wants to go into Bithynia to the north, and the Lord won't let him do that either. So he can't go north. He can't go south. He has to keep coming west. We've been over some of this already, and we want to rejoice in it that the Lord sent Paul west. Verse 7, after they were come to Mysia, they essayed to go into Bithynia, which is to turn to the right and go north, but the Spirit suffered them not. So here they are. You know, all along here, Paul's wanting to go south into Asia or north into Bithynia, and the Lord doesn't let him. And so he has to come west, over to Troas. Verse 8, and they passing by Mysia came down to Troas. You say, down but it looks like he went west. He did go west. It's down in altitude from the mountains of Turkey down to the seaport of Troas. You're going to see that over and over and over again. And once in a while, it'll be important to us, but I hope it'll help you when you read your Bible. Up and down is altitude, not north and south on a compass or on a globe. Verse 9, And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. He's in Troas. there at the coast of modern Turkey. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia, a Greek, a European, and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. Verse 10, And after he had seen the vision, immediately we. Now this is the first time you found a we in the book of Acts. Do you know why? Because now Luke's with Paul. Luke met up with Paul in Troas. You haven't seen that before. Look at, look at how the verse is worded. And after he had seen the vision, did Luke see the vision? No. Who saw the vision? Paul. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. Therefore, loosing from Troas, what do you loose? Feet to go walking or a ship? A boat. Therefore, loosing from Troas, we came with a straight course to Samothracia, and the next day to Neapolis, and from thence to Philippi, which is the chief city of that part of Macedonia, and a colony, and we were in that city abiding certain days. And so that gets us down through verse 12 of Acts chapter 16, and we're all the way over here at Philippi in Macedonia. You can see Macedonia. Alexander the Great and his father Philip of Macedon were Macedonians. Remember that. They were Macedonians. It was a segment of Greece. It was the northern half. The southern half of Greece is called Achaia. And you can see that on your map that I have before you right here, Achaia. So you're going to read in, the, in your Bibles about Achaia, and it's the southern half of Greece, and it had the big church of Corinth in it. In the north, we have big churches of Philippi and Thessalonica that we're going to read about in other places in the New Testament epistles. Because there's an epistle written to the Philippians, and there's an epistle written to the, two epistles written to the Thessalonians of Thessalonica. But this transaction right here of crossing over from, here's the boundary. That's the boundary between Asia and, and, Afri- and Europe. Asia and Europe. And the Apostle Paul has a vision 
The Lord has pushed him all the way to the coast of Turkey, the western coast. And so there in Troas, he gets a vision, and he comes over in one day sailing, and then to Neapolis, and then by foot to Philippi, which is a colony. It was a Roman colony where there were a lot of Romans there, and it had very comparable freedoms for Romans, as did the city of Rome, which will pop up as we read about their experiences there. And so that gets us into Europe. Now, I've, I said something to you a little while ago, and I, I always want you to look at world history in the view of his story. Amen. Because it's God raising up nations and putting down nations, raising up kings, putting down kings, him determining the bounds of their habitation that happily they might seek after him. And why were you born on North American continent? There were just a bunch of Indians here, basically cavemen. The Navajo and Apaches and others lived in caves. They hadn't progressed at all. Why, how did you get here and why? What was the motivation? You know, there was a motivation for wealth to go exploring new worlds and trying to find a trading route to India and China to get some of their spices, gunpowder, and fireworks for the 4th of July before there was a 4th of July. Paper and pasta. You know, I was stood up in the streets of Malaysia about the origin of pasta. It didn't start in Italy, and Marco Polo take it to the Chinese. He found it in China and brought it back to Italy. But that's a long story for another time. Why did the pilgrims come to America? For religious freedom. They had had to leave England and go to the continent. Then they had to leave the continent and come to America looking for a place where they could worship freely, and so you were born in North America. But the reason for that is the gospel went west. The gospel went west, and we thank the Lord for that. Amen. And we're, the Bible wants us to know about these cities because it names them for us. And if you hear a lot of names and you don't have a perspective, it gets confusing, and I don't want you to be confused. When the Bible refers to Asia, it's talking about Asia Minor, which was a province of the Roman government. It's not talking about the Asia that stretches to the Sea of Japan that you can look at on a globe. It's talking about that area right there that we would call the western half of Turkey. And so that's Asia. And you can see the seven churches of Asia there. And Paul's going to visit one of them on this trip before we finish. Paul's going to say toward the end of his life that he was free from the blood of all men in Asia. He had traveled Asia enough and preached widely enough. He knew that he was known enough and what he had taught that he was free from anyone that lived in Asia. That is a tremendous accomplishment, even if it's not the Asia that you think of when you hear the word Asia. But he came over into Europe, into the northern half of Greece, then the southern half of Greece. And you know on his fourth trip, he's going to make it to the boot of Italy, and the Bible's going to describe him coming in at the bottom of that boot and going up to the city of Rome. And the Lord gives us these details. You can see the Isle of Patmos down here at the bottom on this map. And you know that the Apostle, of John, the Apostle John was put on that island as punishment for preaching the gospel himself. I was on the Isle of Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ, Revelation chapter 1. So this is what we're learning. What's the purpose again? Let me see if I can remember it to help you remember it. Two points. One. Let's thank God for raising up men like Paul and sending them and that they went willingly and preached 
for us to hear, believe, and call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ so that we are building again the Davidic kingdom of God under David's son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Even way over here in the North American continent, many thousands of miles away from this activity. Second, that you will be convicted that you will want to share the truth and help others like you have been helped. We have been helped because men that were not apostles, that were not prophets, and that were not evangelists told us about the truth and got us to meetings where the gospel was preached. Let's help others realize that same benefit. And may the Lord bless the preaching of his word to us and to them in due time by his blessing upon our efforts. Amen. Amen. Amen.